Thanks be to God for the gift of music, and thank you, Christine Hydes, for telling us the story of Pentecost. It's a red-letter day when the Spirit breathed life into people, driving them throughout the region to proclaim Jesus' saving grace. Decades later, a church in a distant town of Corinth reflected the diversity of that same group, people of wide-ranging ethnicities, economic means, and possessing so many voices gathered to be Christ's church. And against their newness of faith in Jesus and baptism into his church, though they still lived in a hierarchical society with strict tribal barriers, which caused them to ponder if a pecking order of some sort is needed to govern the church. Being in a community with people who were far different and yet accepted as their equal had never been a part of anyone's lived experience ever. After their founder, the Apostle Paul, left them, they began to posture for who would not only have the last word, but the authority on all of the words, who would shine and flourish, and who was to be silent and perhaps fade. Paul issued an immediate corrective in a letter whose wisdom speaks to us on this Pentecost Sunday. And before I read it, please pray with me. Holy God, send your spirit among us across the miles and various living rooms, dens, and kitchens. Settle into our hearts and minds and stir us with a love for each other and our common good. Breathe your spirit among us to become more than what we've ever imagined and all that you ordained. And compel us then to walk together in Jesus' way. Amen. I invite you to listen to God's word as I read from the first Letter to the Church in Corinth from the 12th chapter, and I'm using the translation from the Common English Bible. Now, there are different spiritual gifts and the same Spirit. There are different ministries and the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. A word of wisdom is given by the Spirit to one person, a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another person, faith to still another by the same Spirit, and gifts of healing to another by that one Spirit, performance of miracles to another, prophecy to another, and the ability to tell the spirits apart to yet another person. Different kinds of tongues is given to one person and the interpretation of tongues to another person, all of these things are produced by the one and same Spirit who gives to what she wants to each person. Christ is like the human body, and a body is a unit that has many parts, and all of the parts of the body are one body, even though they are many. You were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and you were all given one spirit to drink. Here ends our reading. Now, during the dreary spring rain and our shelter-in-place orders, Netflix aired The Last Dance, capturing between five and six million viewers for each of the ten episodes that chronicled Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls' amazing triumphs in the NBA. It was initially slated for a June release alongside what would have been this year's NBA Finals, but ESPN moved up the date after the pandemic scorched everyone's schedule. So 
all fans of every stripes starved of sports tuned in and reignited the debate over who earned the GOAT title. Now, I'd certainly known of this ongoing deliberation in basketball and across all other sports, but had not mentally moved from phrase to acronym. I guess I don't read the sports page enough. GOAT, G-O-A-T. It stands for the greatest of all time. Inherent in the greatest of all time or the GOAT disputes are Jordan's prowess and the other gifted and diverse players, the coaches, the sports staff who surrounded him. Now, Jordan may have curated this TV series, leaving his fingerprints all over the story, but he doesn't have the last word. Regardless of the facts included or omitted, the Bulls won as each person rose to his highest potential for the benefit of the team. You see, no one got to this echelon of sports with a track record of winning only. Each person knew failure and the experience of picking himself up again or having someone else pick them up and expect them to move on and call them to a higher goal. Being a part of a team provides both the environment to become your very best and to push you beyond your imagined capabilities. To be a part of a team, it means contending also with other people's messy relationships, with irritating people, receiving their abuse and pushing back. That's the only way it happens. And in the mess, you forge friendships, you learn to trust and respect, and you learn to endure. You fail individually, you fail collectively, and you begin again. You get stronger, and that's how you win. In a similar vein, but a different arena, just when you think nothing unique could be written of Abraham Lincoln's life and leadership, Doris Kearns Goodwin's bestseller, The Team of Rivals, examined Lincoln's willingness to stack his cabinet with not just wise leaders, but his very rivals. Lincoln purposely surrounded him with those who had sought and continued to seek his demise, whose points of views varied drastically from his, and whose very presence would challenge him every step of the way. Goodwin describes Lincoln as possessing a set of emotional strengths so that when the rivals bared their teeth calling each other names such as liar or traitor or thief, language that was unconscionable in the executive suite, that's when Lincoln became stronger and more confident. When one of their feelings would be hurt rather than gloat, Lincoln would write a letter saying, I quote, if I've hurt you in any way, I did not mean to do so. Forgive me for the things that I might do hastily. Lincoln practiced humility and strength. He knew that he needed to admit a mistake and to reconcile for the good of the whole and for the future of the country. From the time he was young, Lincoln feared dying and turning to dust without making an impact. Fear turned into dreams, propelling him from a literally dirt-poor childhood through early losses in the le state legislature and into the White House. And he dreamt, he dreamt of freeing the enslaved blacks from the South. And such an idea, though, would disrupt a way of life for everyone, and particularly for those who held power. It required lengthy deliberations within the cabinet of strategy and timing and reconciling disparate, disparate factions and gaining their support.
Years later, after signing the Emancipation Proclamation, Lincoln said to one of his closest friends, I quote, well, maybe at last my fondest wish has been realized. I may be remembered after I die. Lincoln's team of rivals became the force to breathe new life into a broken country from which we have been given life. Now, just as Jordan drove himself to excel at basketball and Lincoln rose from poverty to lead our nation, we too have longings that stir in our souls. Feeling a passion burn within to do something, to try to improve, even if we're never included in the GOAT debates, we want to become, and that satisfies an inherent and unique desire in each of us. When we lean into these longings, whether to be a writer, an engineer, a physician, or a teacher, or to parent, or to bake, or to paint, or to run, we can, as we say, get carried away as these activities delight us. We get carried away from the mundane and we feel more alive. And that's when we get closer to what God created us to be. As the soul's longing compel us to make meaning in our lives, our pursuit often takes flight within our family, our community, or our team. Those who love us into being bless us with confidence and patience. So hopefully you might now recall the person, the teacher, the coach, the relative, the neighbor who encouraged you at one activity or another or maybe many. See, even with a passion, not many of us have beginner's luck. More often, someone kept you from being discouraged by basic beginner foibles of falling off the bike, freezing at your piano recital, striking out and not getting accepted. Someone held you and pushed you back. As intensely as the spirit stirs a desire to become, the same spirit also stirs within us a desire to be with others and experience the joy of belonging. Life flourishes most when our desire to be is nurtured within the community to which we belong. Two very important passions as we think of our lives. And yet, when who we know ourselves to be confronts the community's expectations, or who we choose to include crosses boundaries, something begins to fracture. If we stifle our desires, we lose our sense of integrity. If we ignore the constraints of acceptability, we risk exile. And if we remain rebellious, our continued presence within the community threatens its collective identity. So think of the times you were shushed, told to conform, or told what was appropriate and inappropriate, and you just wanted to scream because you knew it wasn't right. Who set the rules? And who gets to decide who's in and who's out? And when do I get to be heard? And how do we get to belong? Peter's letter to the church in, pardon me, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth addresses such potentially fatal fractures. You see, a church is not just any club to which you belong. The church is Jesus' gift to us. The church in Corinth became Christ's body on earth to include the outcast, to welcome the stranger, and nurture everyone's growth just as Jesus had. 
Paul calls them to remember they all confess Jesus as Savior. They all belong together through the same spirit of baptism to which they can become exactly what God creates each one of them to be. Paul writes, no one could stifle the varying languages spoken without diminishing the future of the church. You see, the church's future depends upon everyone telling his or her unique faith story. No one could expel a person for merely being different without mortally wounding the body of Christ. And no one could claim the greatest of all time ranking or assume authority over another and worship Jesus at the same time. Those who believe themselves superior to another person are worshiping a false idol. As the head of the church, Jesus had humbled himself to stand with the marginalized, the poor, and the sick, and he stood strong against the corrupt. It was the church that birthed equality, it's the church that demands justice, and it's the church that offers mercy. These words from Paul, that message comforted those who sought to remain true to themselves when another tried to foist shame upon them. And those exact same words scolded those who refused to imagine the person next to them as loved and cherished as equals. The church is the one place to which we are called to belong, which needs us to be different. And it's really hard. In the next paragraphs, Paul penned some of the most oft-cited words of scripture as the unique gift that God gives us particularly in such times of tension. Love is patient, love is kind, love is never jealous or boastful, and God's love endures and hopes all things. The ultimate team of rivals turns into an oasis of heaven and earth by the simple call to love one another for the very differences he or she possesses. We do not do this alone. We can't do it alone nor do we need to. We have God's love to surround us and hold us in all of this. Today, we celebrate the spirit of Pentecost breathing the church into being. Today, we welcome new members who come from a wide variety of denominations and traditions, or some who have no experience with scripture or worship or the sacraments. Their hopes and dreams, their talents and needs, they breathe new life into us. And today, as Christians, we are called to witness the breath being snuffed out of those whom God loves as the result of persistent racism. George Floyd died at the knee of a long-tolerated view that anyone of color might be detained, abused, or killed for shopping, or bird watching, or jogging, or any of the other activities of common life. It's racism that believes he did not deserve to be or belong in this world, but we know otherwise. Accepting the call to be a part of Christ's church blesses us with eternal gifts, and being a part of this church places before us the need to act and to use our privilege to speak on behalf of others. In the past several months, we've participated in a miracle to refrain from normal life to save the lives of others. And who would have ever imagined in such a partisan divided nation, who would have predicted such solidarity amongst strangers and potential enemies? 
but we did it and we are still doing it for the love of others. Racism is also a lethal virus and we don't need a vaccine to eradicate it. It's up to each of us to restore health to this body, to not just dream, but to breathe it and to achieve it together. May it be so, my friends. May it be so.